Well, good morning. My name is Bob Burns, and uh, I've known Brian now for about a decade, and uh, we've interacted through the miles, actually, uh, for the last nine years. My wife and I have lived in St. Louis, where I've been working with a church, and I've been on the staff at Covenant Theological Seminary, which is a school up in St. Louis. And right now, they're getting somewhere between 8 to 10 inches of snow. So I'm really happy to be here in Rome today. This is great. It's going to get down to 5 or 7 degrees below zero tonight in St. Louis. So uh, just be thankful for what you have, okay? It's great. Uh, It's exciting for us to be here this morning with you, though, and uh, looking forward just to spending some time looking at Luke chapter 11. So uh, Luke chapter 11 is going to come up on the screen here, and we're going to talk together about a very common and complicated idea, something which all of you know about and almost none of us really understand. And that's the idea of prayer. And prayer was very important to Jesus. If you read the Gospel of Luke, you'll see again and again, Jesus goes off by himself or he grabs a couple of the apostles and takes them with him and he just spends time praying. And it's obvious from this passage that the the disciples saw how important that was to Jesus because, as you'll see here in a minute, they're going to ask him to teach them to pray. And through this, Jesus is going to be saying some things to us which you might find somewhat surprising about the whole experience of prayer. So I'm going to read this out loud, and you can follow it as you see it on the the, uh, overhead. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and get him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's just pray together for a minute. Lord Jesus, through your Spirit, you authored these words and gave them to us. We pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us to understand them and to understand prayer a little bit more this morning so that we would be drawn to be more like you. And we pray it in your name. Amen. I I mentioned earlier that prayer is um, a confusing and, and a common thing. What do I mean by that? Well, I was meeting one time with a group of 
men and women, we were doing some, some training, small group training and talking. We, we got into a conversation about the, the challenging things about the Bible causing us to follow Christ. What are the, the challenging things? And you'd think that things would come up like, you know, how do I handle my money? Or how do I work in my job in a way which honors Christ? Or, or how about my marriage and raising kids or being a kid for that matter and having parents that you, you know, know how to deal with? Just all different kinds of topics could come up. But interestingly enough, the thing which though that group landed on as the most challenging aspect of the Christian life for them was prayer. Now, we don't usually think in that way, but as we probed into it, I asked, what is so difficult about prayer? And interestingly enough, they said the most difficult thing we have in prayer is even praying with our spouses. The closest person in the world to us, and yet we have a difficult time praying with them, let alone praying for them. I don't know about you, but I have found that throughout my life with Christ that I've had the expectation that prayer ought to be integral in my life. But oftentimes, it, it kind of becomes a subsidiary thing. I often find that my wife has to encourage me. She says, let's pray together. I, I don't even bring it up myself. Some pastor, huh? And even though that's the case, the Scriptures come back to us again and again and again, and it says that prayer is an integral aspect of not only the Christian life, but of God's work in the world. As a matter of fact, if we read the, the Scriptures carefully, we'll see that there's lots of things that God will do because of his sovereign, his sovereign plan, regardless of whether we pray or not. But there's also lots of things that God will not do or does not do unless we pray about it. And so the disciples say to Jesus, we watch John teach his disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray? Now, Jesus here gives at least five things or five areas around which he addresses the issue of prayer. And the first thing he does is he talks about the concern of prayer. And this is a very familiar aspect of this passage, the concern of prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we could spend weeks talking together about the Lord's Prayer, couldn't we? But, but the most important thing I think for us to look at this morning in the concern of prayer is, is what Jesus says our focus needs to be. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's even the prayer that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, wasn't it? Lord, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And so we, we first have to see that the, the primary concern of prayer is for God's will. Now, this was driven home to me at one critical point in my life. If you talk to Brian and I, you'll find out that one of the things we had to go through in our, in our ordination experience was we had to go through a, an examination uh, before a group of other pastors and elders to see whether or not we passed muster, okay? And one of my seminary classmates was uh, in this group, unfortunately. And he decided he was going to throw one at me, you know, in front of everybody, so Billy stood in the midst of all the questions and said that, Bob, if God is in control of all things, if he's sovereign over all things, like Brian was saying, you're here this morning and yet Psalm 139 says, you know, this is my plan for you. If God has his plan laid out and he's sovereign over all things, why should we take the time to pray? Nice guy, huh? 
here I am trying to fumble around, figure out what to remember, what to say. And he says, why should we pray if God knows all things? So I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, and then it comes to my mind. Thank you, Jesus. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, made this profound statement. He said, prayer is learning how to think God's thoughts after him. Learning how to think God's thoughts after him. And that satisfied my friend's theological curiosity. It's a good answer. But often it doesn't probe deeply enough into the core of my issues. I know the answer up here, but how does it translate down here? I remember there was a pastor that actually Brian worked with who was a classmate of mine in seminary, a guy named Rodney Stortz. And uh, Rodney was a beloved pastor in his church, and he um, came down with a very serious liver cancer. And I had good friends in that church, and they contacted me and many other people and said, would you please pray for Rodney? And so I did that. I began praying almost every day for Rodney for him to be healed because that was their specific request. Would you please pray? Our church is gathering together. We're praying that that Rodney would be healed from this liver cancer so he could continue his wonderful ministry. And so I was praying, and I can remember praying. And one morning I was praying, now, Lord, I pray that you'd heal Rodney. And, um, And I had this little voice. Now, I can't tell you that it was the voice of God. It sure sounded like it. But, uh, but I, I had this, this voice inside me say, what if it isn't my will for Rodney to be physically healed? And that just kind of took me back. I thought, well, you know, everybody's praying for him to be physically healed. Why wouldn't that be your will? And the more I reflected on that, the more I thought, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And sometimes what we assume is his will isn't necessarily his will, but that he works out his will in our prayers by praying what we think is going to be his will when we discover that isn't necessarily what his plan was in the first place. In this particular case, I began saying, well, Lord, if it's it's not your will to heal Rodney, then I don't know what your will is, but I pray your will be done. And that that really kind of uh, shook me into begin thinking, Maybe the most important thing for me to pray about is, Lord, help me to understand what your will is here. But whatever it is, please, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The the concern of prayer, God's will being done. But we need to probe a little bit more. How do we get to the point of understanding God's will? That brings us to the second point, the rationale of prayer. And Jesus shares this interesting story giving us the rationale of prayer, this parable. Now, you have to understand a little bit about Middle Eastern culture to really understand the, uh, the imperative that's found here. We just think, oh, this, here's a guy, and he has a friend who comes and visits him, and he's out of food, and he goes next door, and he bugs his neighbor to get some food. You know, what's going on? Now, this, you have to understand that in the Middle East, hospitality is not an option. Hospitality is a requirement. So it seems like it's fairly late in the afternoon, maybe into the evening, and this person has someone come to visit him. He wasn't expecting this visitor to come, but the person comes and he is required in the cultural milieu, he's required to bring the person into his house, 
to give him a comfortable place and a safe place to stay, to provide a meal for him, and to make sure his animals are taken care of. This is just the the common expectation in the Middle East. And if you're not able to do this, you are shamed in the context of the culture. Well, he doesn't have any food. Maybe they already had had dinner and everything was used up. Regardless of what happened, he has no food. And he's saying, what am I going to do? I've got to go to my neighbor. So he goes next door and he knocks on the neighbor's door. Now, the neighbor was in a situation that many of us have faced. Maybe you faced it last night. It's been a long day. It's been a hard day. You know, his wife has been working hard and he's been working hard. And the kids have been playing and doing stuff. And they've had their evening meal. And you know the way kids are after the evening meal. You begin that battlefield, don't you? The battle of getting your kids put down. And uh, been through it many, many years. Have all the marks on my body to show the pain involved in it. Uh, was just spending time with my son and his family. And we were going through it with their kids. I mean, you know, kids just hate to go to bed. So you have to do all kinds of things. And finally, finally this neighbor, finally he gets them to bed. And you know how you feel after you get your kids to bed? It's just kind of, oh, man, can I just have some peace and quiet for a few minutes? And he sits down, you know, for that peace and quiet. Maybe he's lying down now in his bed, and he hears that knock on the door. And he just wants to, I don't want to even hear it. Don't want to hear it. What? What do you want? Listen, listen. I had this person who came and visited, and and I don't have any food. Can you please give me some food to put before my friend? What? Don't you understand? We just got the kids down. I'm exhausted. Get out of here. I don't want to have to deal with that right now. What? I got to have the food. And what Jesus says It's not because they're neighbors. It's not because they're friends. But because that person so persistently bugged his neighbor that the neighbor finally gave in and gave the food to him so he could get him off of his back. Now, what is Jesus teaching here? Is he teaching that the Father in heaven is a reluctant neighbor who doesn't really want to give your prayers an answer and you have to bug him and bug him and bug him to get prayers? Is he a reluctant? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying in this parable is this. The rationale for prayer is that you have to begin with real needs. This story talks about a man who was in desperate condition. He desperately needed to get that food to put in front of his visitor. Jesus says you have to have real needs, begin with real needs, and you have to be persistent in presenting your real needs before God. That's the rationale for prayer. Prayer begins with praying for real needs and praying about it persistently. And you take that together with the first point, real needs which you're willing to pray about to discover what God's will is and to do it persistently. So there is the concern and the rationale of prayer. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus says, as you As you begin praying persistently over real needs, desiring God's will to be done, there's a promise. And the promise is found in verses 9 and 10. 
And it's really a rather amazing promise. It's a startling promise. It's one you've heard so often, you just take it for granted. The promise is this. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. You say, well, what's so startling about that? Two things you need to understand. The first thing is, in the Greek tense, this is a present continuous command. What Jesus is saying is ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. The second thing that's startling here is the fact that Jesus makes this an imperative. We don't understand this very much, but you have to, you have to know that Jesus here is speaking in Hebrew, and in Hebrew they don't have an exclamation point. The way that they give an exclamation point in Hebrew is by saying the same thing twice. So Jesus says it the first time and says, it shall be given unto you. And then he says it the second time. Twice he says, you need to be asking and seeking and knocking. So he says this is a present continuous activity, which is an imperative. It's something you have to keep on doing. And then note what the result is that Jesus says in these verses. He says, it shall be open unto you. Why is that startling? Friends, this is a promise, an ironclad promise that God has made through his son. He doesn't say it may be open to you. He doesn't say it, the chances are 50-50 that it's going to be open to you. He says, if you keep on asking, if you keep on seeking, if you keep on knocking, it shall be open unto you. It has to stand. This is Jesus Christ speaking. He's either telling you the truth or he's telling you a lie and he's just trying to tease you. Jesus Christ says, I promise you that if you ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking, it will be opened. But you say to me, Bob, I have asked. I have sought. I have knocked. And it hasn't opened. Is Jesus lying? That brings us to the fourth point, the problem of prayer. You say to me, I have asked. Well, here's the thing. There's asking, and then there's asking, okay? Um, sometimes we think about asking for something in prayer, but we, stop, we don't even begin asking because we just think it's going to be selfish. You know, I can't, I can't pray that. You know, God doesn't want me to pray that. I'd be embarrassed to pray that. So we don't ask. Sometimes we begin asking, but after a while, we just kind of drop it. I mean, you know, someone shares a prayer request. I'll be praying with you about that. We pray about it once. We pray about it twice. We don't really pray about it anymore, and we just forget about it. Usually, those are prayers just kind of off the top of our head. And then sometimes there's asking that we ask, but we really don't think God will do anything about it. We'll ask, but, you know, but God, he's not, he's, that's not going to be his concern, or 
you know, for whatever reason we think, God's not really going to ask, respond to that. There's asking and then there's asking. True asking, according to what Jesus is saying here, is an indication of our desire. What do we really desire more than anything else? If you're like me, I don't want to tell you the things I really desire. I might be embarrassed to share that with you. It may be so deep inside of me. Maybe I've gone through such disappointment. There's some things, there's such desires, I even question whether I should talk to my wife about it. What do you really, really, really desire? Remember what I said a little earlier about prayer? Prayer is persistence around real needs. Not around superficial needs. Not around just kind of, eh, maybe, maybe not. But the, what Jesus is saying here is the things which you desperately yearn for and long for in your soul, the things which you might not even want to acknowledge to yourself that you feel about, he said, that's the place where you begin to pray. And you begin to pray about it persistently because you can't shake it. You think about it when you get up in the morning and you're in the shower. You think about it when you're at work. You think about it when you're driving along. You think about it in the evening. It's on your mind. It's on your heart. Jesus says, start with those real needs that are found in the depths of your soul. And ask and seek and knock. There's asking and then there's asking. And Jesus says, I want you to begin with your deepest desires. Now, here's here's the key. What would happen if those deep desires within us, and you know what's there, you know what you're you're yearning for, what if those deepest desires (coughs) found themselves aligned with God's will? What if those deepest desires lined up with God's will so that you found yourself persistently praying over deep needs in your own soul with a sense that you are praying for God's will to be done. This leads us to the answer to the problem of prayer, which is found in verses 11 through 13. Jesus very simply says, Look at a good father. If if a child comes to his father and says, would you please give me a fish? Is that father going to turn around and give him a snake? If a child says, can you please give me an egg? Is he going to give him a scorpion? And obviously our response is absolutely not. Jesus says, well, if that's what a father on earth will do, what will your father in heaven do? Now, at this point, we have another startling surprise because what we would expect him to say is, if fathers on earth know how to give good things to their children, then the Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask of him. But that's not how Jesus responds. He says, if fathers on earth know how to give good things to their, their children, and if you ask 
won't the Father give the Holy Spirit <coughs> to those who ask? And you kind of scratch your head and you say, what, what kind of an answer is that, Jesus? But, but this actually is an answer that pulls everything together. Listen, this is how it goes. What Jesus is saying is, the rationale of prayer is you begin with real needs and real needs prayed persistently. God's going to respond to those real needs. So explore your heart and examine your heart and find out what your deepest desires are and then begin praying along the lines of those deepest desires. Now you are a child of God and God is going to respond to your prayers. And he is going to answer your prayers. It's a promise. What's the answer that he's going to give to you? The deepest answer Excuse me. to the deepest desires and needs we have in our soul is the Holy Spirit. And what does he say happens here? Excuse me, I got a tickle here. Just one cough. <coughs> Don't have a button there for that one. As he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins shaping us and working in us and revealing to us an understanding of what our need really is, what our perspective is about the need that we've been praying about. The Holy Spirit uses that persistent prayer that we've been praying about those deep needs to shape us and mold us to come to an understanding of what God's purposes are here or to begin seeing things from God's point of view. That's what was happening to me when I was praying for Rodney Stortz and his healing. And I had this thought, you know, what, what is God's will here? I didn't understand what it was, but I began asking for God's will to be done. <clears throat> this, this, this was illustrated to me dramatically by a friend of mine who was leading a class one time. He was leading a whole class on prayer. And this is what he did. He, he, at the beginning of the class, the first time the class met, they met on a consecutive Sundays, the first time the class met, he said to them, you're going to be surprised by this question, but let me ask you this. How many of you in this room would like to be a millionaire? Well, everybody in the room raised their hand. Sure, I'll take a million. And he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. If you've been raising your hand, you'd like a million dollars, I want you to begin praying this week for a million dollars. Okay? The challenge was out. Then he went on with the class. They got together the next Sunday for the class. And uh, about halfway through the class, I said, okay, last week I said, million dollars. How many, almost all of you in this room raised your hand. How many of you prayed all week long for a million dollars? About seven people raised their hand. He said, okay, the rest of you, you, you stop praying for it. You seven, you continue to pray for it. Came back the next week. About halfway through the class. Seven of you raised your hands last week and said you wanted a million dollars. How many of you seven continue to pray this week for a million dollars? Three people's hands were up. Okay, you three, you keep praying. He let go for a couple of weeks. About three weeks later, they're almost getting towards the end of the class. He said, you three who are praying for a million dollars, how many of you have prayed for that? Continue to pray. One guy raised his hand. Okay, I want you to keep praying. One person in the class. Pray for a million dollars. The next week, he said to that gentleman, have you continued to pray for a million dollars? And the man said, let me tell you what's happened. 
He said, when you invited us as a class to ask asked us who would like to have a million dollars, he said, I want you to know that I have wanted to be a millionaire since I was four years old. And I couldn't believe that you were giving me permission to pray for a million dollars. So he said, I began, to, <clears throat> I began to pray just like that neighbor. I just began bothering God. Every day I would pray. Now, Lord, Dick has told me I could pray for a million dollars. I am praying for a million dollars. I want you to give me a million dollars. And he prayed, and he prayed faithfully. And he said, you know, after about a week of praying that way, you know what happened? He said, I was praying one morning for a million dollars, and I had this thought. What if I got a million dollars and I lost my kids. He said, it was really hard for me to think about that. I love my kids. He said, but I kept praying. You challenged us. I kept praying for that million dollars. He said, I was praying on and praying on. I said, a few days later, I was praying. And as I was praying, the thought came, what if I got a million dollars? And I lost my integrity in the midst of that to get the million dollars. He said, I kept praying. I kept praying. And he said, then one day I thought, what if I got a million dollars and I lost my wife? He said, the more I prayed for a million dollars, the more I began thinking about things which to me are so much more important than a million dollars. And he said, finally, it came to a point where I said, Lord God, I'd rather have my wife and my kids, my friends, my family, my business doing well to your glory and honor than to ever get a million dollars. Lord God, it's your job to consider whether or not I should be a millionaire. I want to do your will. I want to do your will. And you see what happened to him? He began praying about the deepest desire in his heart. And God used that open door to bring his Holy Spirit in. And he began to reshape that guy's wants. He began reshaping his desires, reforming him to give him a heart to desire God's will rather than his own will. By praying for the million dollars, God transformed him to have a heart for his will. So what's my challenge to you this morning? It's a challenge I give to you, I give to myself. Be honest with God. He knows your heart. He knows the things that are going on inside your soul. Take those deepest needs, those deepest desires, those yearnings within you, and begin to seriously ask God. Seek God. Knock for those things. Plead with Him. Persist with Him. Bug Him about the things that are really on your soul. And then see what he does. See how his Holy Spirit uses that to give you a heart for himself. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, it will be opened for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, Teach us to pray. Amen.